Well, I've never done this before, but we're going to have like a Sunday show style recapping the week and letting you know what's happening up coming up this week. And to kick it off is Frank Morano. Frank Morano, I know you just were on the air, actually. So thanks for joining me right after. You know uh, what a fan I am of you as a colleague and of your podcast. Although um, a friend of mine uh, said that uh, because Al Sharpton already has a show called Keeping It Real, your show should be called Keeping It Wheel because you're I always love on love that, and my wheel's a little shaky right now, but we'll, yeah. we'll deal with that. But I brought you on because let's first talk about the week that was. Impeachment vote to, to get to the procedure, and then Trump leaves New York. Any thoughts on either of those? Well, I'm disappointed uh, that the president has chosen to leave New York State, not only because I think New York should be very proud that we have any president elected, but especially uh, a president that is so uh, so much has been such a big part of New York's fabric for the last four decades. But I'm even sadder that um, the governor and the mayor have helped create a tax climate in this city and state that's made it impossible uh, or at least very difficult for wealthy people to remain here. And then these two guys, Andrew Cuomo and and, uh, and Bill de Blasio, Blasio uh, Heckle and Jekyll, for them to go out and celebrate uh, the fact that Donald Trump was leaving New York, that's nothing to celebrate. Uh, they're celebrating the fact that they've made it too expensive to live here. I mean, look, look what's happened with Mike Gallagher. He's a wealthy guy, or at least, you know, upper middle class, probably closer to wealthy. He left New York because of the taxes. Tom Golisano, how if you keep driving all of the wealthy people out of New York State, we're not going to be able to afford to pay for services. And you know what's amazing, Frank, is that as uh, we heard on Cats this week, is J.P. Morgan also leaving. I mean, there are companies also leaving. And, and, I'm aware of that. And no one's talking about that either, but we are, and that's a good thing. Yeah, no. Well, uh, that's for sure. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what planet these guys are on, uh, but I'm sorry the president's leaving. I hope he'll move back one day. And you know what? Don't strip his name off all the buildings. He's a fabric of New York, and just the name alone uh, should show you that. Well, a lot of them he owns, so you can bet the ones that he owns that uh, they're going to keep them right up there. Uh, I wish Wilman Rink did that too, but that's another story. Uh, so now this week. You've got and the impeachment vote. Any thoughts on that? Well, uh, look, it's really it's I don't really understand what it was. It was not a vote on impeachment. It, I guess it was sort of just a vote about the rules of impeachment. It seems like uh, a lot of the nuts and bolts of the uh, the rules that they outlined are not terribly fair in terms of providing due process to the uh, president or his legal team. But at the end of the day, impeachment's a political process. Any process that's controlled by politicians is political. So I wish they'd just get it over with. I wish, you know, I mean, I don't understand why you can't just put all the information out there and then let the voters themselves make their decision. Pete Buttigieg uh, made that point about the danger of removing a president uh, rather than just voting him out of office. If you don't like Donald Trump, I totally get it. More than half the country doesn't. So don't vote for him. That's the solution. It's not try to, you know, totally hold up the whole work of the Congress and the executive branch for this impeachment nonsense. And I I think think Congress just shot themselves in the foot because a lot of these guys that voted yes are in Trump districts and they could be voted out very easily next year. Well, right. I mean, uh, in politics, nothing's a sure thing, right? And one of the things, so you were around for the Clinton day. Was this as wild, wild west back then or was it a little more organized with the Clinton? Well, um, 
It was it was pretty wild. Uh, the two things that were different back then is you had all these salacious details that are largely absent from this whole Ukraine gate uh, fiasco. The other thing that was very different is uh, when Bill Clinton was impeached, and I was opposed to that impeachment as well. Uh, but when Bill Clinton was impeached, uh, there were 31 Democrats in the House that voted with the Republicans to impeach Bill Clinton. Um, this time around, there were only two Democrats that voted with the Republicans. So I think it goes to show how polarized the parties in Washington have become. There's so much cohesiveness within the parties. Uh, there used to be a lot more breaking ranks in both right. parties. You're not seeing that anymore. And, uh, well, I think because everybody's afraid of their votes, and, and that's probably a big reason why. Now, another thing is uh, Doug Collins yesterday saying, bring Adam Schiff out. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him testify about all of this because he's had so much relationships with the whistleblower and the ties to the whistleblower. It's unbelievable. Well, uh, Schiff has? Or, Schiff has, yeah, yes. I, I think it's a real a real shame that all of these hearings have taken place behind closed doors. I mean, we're paying for the electricity. We're paying for those microphones. We're paying for the salaries of everybody that's in that room. We should have a right to see these hearings. Considering they dragged out both Kavanaugh and Blasey Ford last year, if you think about it. Uh, so let's talk about this week upcoming. You've got the New York City Charter, which you've been banging the drum for and, and getting people the word out about we could vote it on Tuesday. Is that right? Well, that's right. And especially so uh, we're today is Sunday, right? So yes. uh, people can actually vote today as well. This is the first year that New York is oh, is offering early voting. I voted on Friday, uh, but pe- and I know a lot of people have been voting over the last five days. Today's the last day to vote early. So if you don't vote today, uh, then you could vote on Tuesday. But, uh, but yes, in addition to the top ticket item uh, on the ballot this year, which is the race for New York City Public Advocate, where I'm hoping... My friend Joe Borelli will sure. uh, will win. There are uh, five questions on the ballot this year, uh, two of which are, will would create a very very big change in city government. Now everybody gets to vote on these, but unfortunately. Aside from you and maybe aside from me, very few people have been talking about them. So, um, uh, you know, rather than bore everybody to death with getting into the minutia of all five of these questions. I'm you could just gonna... watch his hearings online. That's even better to get into well, the minutia of it, right? Yeah, well, so, but let me break down what the questions are that people are going to be voting on, right? So the question, question one, the big aspect of it is, it does a bunch of things, but the, the most uh, noteworthy aspect of it is, is it creates something called ranked choice voting in New York City for primary elections and for special elections. Now, what's ranked choice voting uh, and how is it different from how we vote now? Well, let's look at how we vote now. Let's say you uh, go out and you vote. Uh, you're, you live in Queens. Let's say people were to go out and vote in the Democratic primary for Queens district attorney. And uh, very simply, whoever gets the most votes would win that primary. And that almost created quite a dangerous situation for all of New York City because even though 70% or so of Queens Democrats voted against Tiffany Caban, she almost won. She came within 111 votes of winning. So the problem with how the system is now is that you could have somebody slip in with a plurality instead of a majority. So what's ranked choice voting? Basically, you just rank your choices. If there are five candidates running, you rank, I like Alex Garrett first, I like Frank Moreno second, I like Kevin McCullough third, and then if anybody gets a majority of first choice votes, that candidate's elected. If nobody gets a majority, then the candidate with the least number of first choice votes, those votes transfer to the candidate's second choice. So why is this a good thing? Well, it's good for three reasons, in my judgment, and that's why I'm going to be voting yes. One, 
uh, it saves the cost of a runoff election. Currently, we have runoff elections for mayor and for public advocate. It costs the city millions of dollars. Uh, and these are elections that very few people are turning out in. So we do away with those. Okay. We no longer have runoff elections. Two is you actually have somebody emerging that is the, the choice of the majority of voters, not opposed by the majority of voters. So this sounds like a bit like a, a doing away with the electoral college kind of style where the majority would win this case or? Uh, right, it would be a majority rather than a rather than a, a somebody slipping in with a gotcha. plurality. Okay. But the other thing is, you know, it does away with the with the so-called spoiler effect. You know, uh, when Bill Clinton got elected in 1992, uh, a lot of Republicans were saying, "Oh, if it weren't for Ross Perot, he never would have gotten elected." When George Bush got elected in in 2000, a lot of uh, Democrats were saying, well, if it weren't for Ralph Nader, George Bush never would have gotten elected. Uh, they tried the same thing with Jill Stein and Gary Johnson in 2016. At least Hillary Clinton did. I'm not sure how many other folks bought into that argument. So if you have ranked choice voting, let's say there was somebody that didn't have a good chance of winning, like a Ralph Nader type or a Ross Perot type, and then there was somebody else that you preferred, you could rank your choices. And then once your candidate didn't get the most votes, it goes to the next amount of votes. So I think this is a no-brainer. I'm excited to vote for it. The uh, second question on the ballot, though, I think actually has the potential to be uh, pretty dangerous, and I'm going to be voting against this. So question number two affects the operation of the Civilian Complaint Review Board, which investigates allegations of uh, against police officers, excessive use of force, abuse of authority, this and uh, this and that. So right now the mayor appoints all 13 members of the CCRB. Uh, now, if adopted, this proposal would expand it to 15 members, include a member appointed by the public advocate, and one jointly appointed by the it mayor and the speaker. It. Yes, it That's is. That's bad. That is dangerous. But in addition to expansion, it gives them an independent budget, um, which means they have a budget guaranteed. This gives them a level of power that they've never had before, Additionally, this is pretty frightening. If the police commissioner deviates from what they recommend, the police commissioner will have to issue a written explanation to the CCRB as to why he's deviating from that. Now, think of how crazy that is. That is the crazy. police commissioner is in charge of the NYPD, and yet he now has to go to this group and explain why he's taking the steps that he's taking. Now, um, lastly... Uh, this would make it much more difficult for it. It would make it. Uh, it, it would p penalize cops who perjure themselves before the CCRB. Uh, so, if the CCRB if the CCRB believes that a cop has made false statements during the course of their investigation, they can. Um, they can basically pursue disciplinary action, and they'd be allowed to do that. And it also gives them broader subpoena power. So I'm all for oversight of the police, Alex, and I'm all for investigating instances of police misconduct. But let's look at all the levels of oversight that already exists in New York. Right. You have the five DAs. You have the two U.S. attorneys. You have the CCRB. You have the an, an inspector general of the NYPD. And uh, you have um, the media, which uh, had always sheds a light on all these instances of police misconduct, or at least often does. So I think this would, and there's a reason every law enforcement union in the city is opposing this. Now, uh, a couple points to that. Firstly, 
obviously we see the police themselves having to write up why we just arrested you or why we pulled you over. Like there's so much paperwork already with the police force. Why add to it? Secondly, though, uh, Frank, the um, the city charter, who, who makes that? Who is writing all this up? Excellent question. Well, there are a number of ways to uh, amend the city charter, right? The city charter is our constitution. It's the city's constitution. So this, um, the the mayor can appoint a commission who would hold hearings and then put questions on the ballot. Bloomberg did it. Uh, you know, a number of mayors have done it. De Blasio did it. Uh, in this case, uh, this was put together by the speaker of the city council, Corey Johnson, and all the elected officials, including the mayor and all the borough presidents, they appointed a commission, and they're the ones that put the questions on the ballot, this wow. commission. And so do you feel like there's been any corruption with the city charter leading up to this? Well, um, corruption, I'm not going to say corruption um, per se. I don't think there's anything like a direct bribe or a pay for play or anything like that. Here's what I do think. Uh, even the best question on here, which is the question about ranked choice voting, they're only including ranked choice voting for the primary and for the special. They're not including it for the general election. Now, what sense in the world does that make? To force people to vote one way in special elections, one way in primaries, and then a totally different way in the general election. Why are they doing that? They're doing that because the political class in this city uh, protects themselves, and they look out for themselves. And look, I proposed, as did a number of other New Yorkers, and a number of the other commissioners, nonpartisan elections. And the commission wouldn't even take it up. They wouldn't even study it. They wouldn't even hold a single hearing on it because the special interests in this city that have an interest in holding on to power, they don't want reform. So I don't think there's corruption. I think what you're seeing is the political class and the special interests looking out for themselves. And if you'll permit me an opportunity to plug my podcast, Alex, and again, I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and your listeners. Um, On the last edition of the Morano Whenever podcast that I did, I spoke with two members of the Charter Revision Commission who helped formulate these questions, Sal Albanese and Steve Fiala. And we went through all five of the questions in some detail. So if people want to listen to that, they can just go to, you know, wherever podcasts podcasts are available and just type in Morano Whenever. It's the most recent edition. By the way, thanks for having us at your wedding. It was a great day. Congratulations to you and Rachel. And... You can follow him on Twitter at Frank Morano, right? Yeah, you're very kind to mention that. I'm appreciative of pretty of the much fact the that simplest Twitter feed out there. That's we right. see a lot of exactly. crazy ones, but your, yours is pretty. You can get there. You know, it's I, exactly. accessible. Frank so. M O R A N O. So there we go. Frank, thanks so much. And uh, one other thing, this will be on the back of the ballot on Tuesday. Uh, that is a good question. You know, I'm going to have to report back to you on that one. It may be on the front of the ballot because. Uh, actually, I think it is on the front of the ballot because there are so few races this okay. year. So you basically have the public advocates race. In Queens, you guys have the DA's race. Yes. Uh, there's a couple of judicial races, and that's that's it. Uh, so uh, it's going to be probably on the front. What do they the call it? The year before the general election? A dead year type of thing? Uh, yeah, it's a usually an off year off election. Year, yes. But that's why it's so important that people vote. Even if people don't agree with me on ranked choice voting, and heaven knows there are a lot of people that don't, or if you don't agree with me on the CCRB uh, question, go out, learn about the questions, read the proposal proposals and make a decision for yourself. Well, constitutional convention, city charter, I would say Frank Morano likes to disrupt the government, and I'm (laughs) A-OK with that. Thank you, Al. Thanks for joining me this Sunday. I'm Alexander Garrett, keeping it real or maybe keeping it wheel. Maybe we'll name it that way. Coming up next, it is Jeff Mordock of the Washington Times on this first edition of the Sunday Pod with Alex Garrett. Stay with us. And welcome inside to the Sunday Pod. This is a new 
feature I'm doing here. And right now is the correspondent for the Washington Times. He's a State, uh, Justice Department correspondent. And uh, Jeff Mordock, thanks for joining today. Now, we were talking off air. Wouldn't you say that there needs to be more of an injection of Sunday shows, even through the podcast world? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think um, I think the more voices we have talking about the talking about what's happening, uh, the more reaction we have on the Sunday shows from all kinds of mediums. I think it's an important part of the discussion. And, you know, I was just talking about this off the air. When I was a kid, maybe it was just because I was a kid, I didn't realize the importance of it. But every week, there's a Sunday show wrap from the Hill. There's a Sunday show recap from you guys. So what they say on Sundays really does matter. It really does. We have a whole team of um, reporters on Sundays who follow what's happening and what's being said on the Sunday shows. And Jeff Mordock is actually with the State Department, covering the State Department at the Washington Times. And uh, Jeff, how many years have you been doing that? Alex, let me correct you. At the Justice Department. I covered the Justice Department. Justice Department, that's right. Uh, How many years have you been doing that? Uh, Three years now. Three years. And obviously you've been with Sessions. Now you've been with Barr. So I'm bringing you on today because I want to know how the impeachment proceedings affects Bill Barr's investigations. And by the way, folks, if you're not, if you remember, Jeff broke the John Dunham story on my podcast not too long ago. So you've been unfollowing this even before anybody else has. Uh, I have, and it's an interesting. Um, I have, and it's an interesting investigation. Uh, we don't know a lot about it yet, so it's a little hard to say what it's going to mean for the impeachment. Uh, it's something I think we're all wondering ourselves. And, and one of the things I find really interesting is right now it seems like the dorm. Uh, investigation is focused on Russia, uh, election meddling, whether or not Russia was the only country, whether or not if Russia, you know, Russia meddling, if in fact that there was also some effort to help Democrats in that. So I don't know how that's going to focus on Ukraine, because I think we are just the center of the impeachment investigation, because we've all moved on from Russia at this point. We're all focused on the Ukraine and what's happening in the Ukraine. I, I wonder and I, if this is going to be they come out with something to counter the Russian narrative, you know, two years too late. Maybe this is something Jeff Sessions should have done in uh, 2017 if um, he wanted to help the administration a little better. By the way, Sessions is out there again. He might run for Senate. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, he is still beloved in Alabama. Um, he is still beloved by the conservative base. Um, it, it's 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 interesting to see because it's almost, a, a I don't want to say a Jekyll and Hyde, but it's almost like a two people with Jeff Sessions. There's the Jeff Sessions who faithfully enforced all of Donald Trump's policies and probably did more to enact the Trump agenda than any other um, administration official, but then there's the Jeff Sessions who just did not want to deal with the Russia probe and just did not want to be involved with Russia investigation and picking up um, and you know picking a, a special counsel and all of that. So it's interesting uh, to see that that's held against him if he runs for his old for his old Senate seat. And meanwhile, this Bill Barr is being you know accused of being so dependent. To Trump, that Trump depends on him. But I don't know, in the years I've been following this, it feels like every president's had their departments depending, you know, they've depended on them. So this is nothing nor this is nothing out of the norm, is it? 
No, there's absolutely nothing new. Um, I mean, we saw this with Eric Holder and President Obama. We saw it with Loretta Lynch and President Obama. Uh, we saw it with Dallas and John Ashcroft in the Bush administration. Every attorney general, you know, their their job is that well, what they've done is they they protected the president. And, you know, everybody points out, and they're right, the job of the attorney general is to protect America and to work for the American people, not be the president's enforcer. But we've seen time and time again where the lines between the Justice Department and politics have been blurred. And, uh, you know, he was out making some noise this week saying that Comey's, you know, that Comey should watch out. I mean, Bill Barr's not staying silent while he's investigating. Well, it's interesting. He's out there making uh, comments, but he's also not giving us a lot of information about what the investigation has uncovered. We know very little of the Justice Department. We know they were in Italy. We know they were in Great Britain. Uh, we know that they've reached out to Australia. Uh, we know that they've reached out and have had connections with the Ukraine. Um, yeah, but we don't know the extent of those conversations. We don't know what they've learned, if anything, from those conversations. Uh, we don't know... We really don't know any. We don't know. I mean, even if you look at the big news, the big news uh, which happened in the John Doran probe, which happened uh, at the end of last week, was that it had been elevated from a review to a criminal investigation. And we don't know what sparked that. Now, we've seen both sides go nuts. The Republicans get all excited because they think John Doran is going to bring the hammer down on uh, some people who they view as part of the deep state, like Mr. Comey, John Brennan, James Clapper, people like that. But we've also seen Democrats go crazy saying that President Trump is using the Justice Department for political gain. He's going to prosecute his political opponents. This is unfair. And it might not be any of that, uh, which is what I think is so interesting. What it might end up being is maybe John Doerr found somebody had lied to investigators, either him or Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz. And if that's the case, there's going to be a very limited criminal investigation, a very limited probe in which they prosecute um, whoever it was that may have lied. So that's a lot of consternation and a lot of finger pointing for something that might honestly be just a small case. Well, let me ask you, because everybody's now saying, well, with the impeachment vote happening, the, the IG report has to come out now. So you're saying don't give our hopes up if you're a conservative right now, that there may not actually be anything? Is that what you're... Uh, inferring here? We don't know. We don't know. I don't want to go so far as say there there isn't anything. All I'll say is we don't know. Um, you know, the Harwood, the Michael Harwood, the Inspector General report on FISA, uh, Bill Barsett, that's coming out in June. Then we didn't hear anything about it all summer. Then towards the end of the summer, they said that was coming out in September. Then the big date was uh, the second Friday in October. And everybody thought it was the second Friday in October, and everybody got all excited. Then we get to November, uh, now we're into November, and there's still no uh, word on when it's coming down, uh, when it's coming down. And the longer it holds out, of course, that is for the Republican Party. They really needed something. They kind of need something like this to craft their narrative to the American people. Um, since we don't know what it's going to say, the only thing we really do seem to know about this is it's as thick as a phone book. That's really all we know about the FISA report. So I don't know what the Republicans so – by the time this comes out, is it going to be helpful to the Republicans? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out when it comes out. And uh, what do you think, what are they doing underneath it all? Like, we all see the investigations playing out every day. Everybody talks about it. But what is the Justice Department also doing? Because you cover the major stuff, but also initiatives and things that the Justice Department is also doing. Is that right? 
Yes, that's correct. I cover both the politics side as well as the law enforcement angle, which everybody forgets. The Justice Department, you know, runs our nation, you know, our nation's federal law enforcement bureaus. They still do a lot of stuff. They have um, a great China initiative going on right now that's uh, working to go after China, um, Chinese nationals who are stealing intellectual property from American companies. That's a great program. They've got um, a religious liberty initiative, which is quite controversial, that's uh, going on right now, in which they're suing people who they think are blocking people's right to uh, worship. And, and sometimes it's, uh, you know, land ca- cases where a township is fighting over zoning for, say, a church or another religious-type building. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of interesting stuff the Justice Department is doing uh, that's not getting any attention that I think should be getting more play. Um, as a matter of fact, something that didn't get a lot of play that I think is really important is uh, about a week ago, a week or two ago, the Justice Department announced the largest bust of um, the largest uh, child pornography website in the world. Um, and that led to, I think, uh, I want to say almost 300 arrests, I, I believe is the number. But I think I think 330 or 330 or some arrests that that led to. So that's I mean that's pretty significant, and that's worldwide that cooperation authorities in the United States, Great Britain, South Korea, and that's a, a huge accomplishment. But it's not getting any attention because everybody wants to focus on impeachment and uh, what the Justice Department is doing politically. And I hate to say it, but Jeffrey Epstein was old news there until this week, and I feel like unless his name's mentioned. We don't even talk about that combating of child pornography unless his name is mentioned. We don't talk about the efforts to actually get people that are alive arrested and locked up for doing pretty much what what Epstein was doing, if not worse. Well, exactly right. And one of the key parts about this Justice Department initiative here is that um, we don't have um, we. we, we discovered some new images that haven't been already out there, and that's very important because it means there's new victims out there, and victims are previously unknown to law enforcement. And that's, you know, really gives law enforcement uh, some new avenues to go down and, and shut these vile places down, and that's what law enforcement needs to be doing. Um, that's something that should be getting more attention from uh, the media, and, and it's just it's just not, and that's a shame. It is, and maybe this is why the Sunday show should exist, to give you, hey, this is actually happening out there, and you guys should know about it. So, Jeff, thanks for contributing today. Yeah. Well, I wonder in, in that situation, because I've done a lot of stories about um, law enforcement efforts to, to combat the vileness of what's on the Internet, and um, it doesn't get a lot of attention. And I, I think one of the reasons why in the stories that I've done, I've done some good stories, if I do say so myself, and they haven't gotten a lot of um, clicks. And I think it's because it's such a disturbing and awful topic. Nobody wants to address it. And, and I think, but, you know, the, the throwing spotlight in, is, is how we catch these people by putting a spotlight on these people and showing people what they're doing. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, they've also been doing a lot of stuff with the drug uh, trafficking as well. Like they've arrested 63 at one point here in this state alone. So they're doing a lot on all different fronts. But obviously what Adam Schiff, what Pelosi, what, what the media, what they're all doing is shifting away from that. Well, I understand. I mean, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff, their, their, their job isn't to monitor the Justice Department. Their job isn't, I mean, their, their, their job is, is politically motivated, and they're going to do what they feel they need to do for political gain. So, I, 
yes, they're, they're not talking about or highlighting those things at the Justice Department, but they're also, it's not their responsibility or their job to do it. Um, you know, I think the Trump administration should be highlighting this a little more. Um, if you do want to point a finger at um, Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff or anything, it might be the lack of legislation that they uh, passed or initiated to help the American people. Uh, I did not write this article, but uh, two very, very talented reporters at our paper did a deep dive into the number of legislation versus the number of subpoenas. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was a significant, uh, as a significantly higher number of subpoenas have been issued by this current Congress than legislation passed, which is just jaw-dropping. It's almost, it's a shame, really, because they elected these people to actually work for them, not to skirt around actual issues and deal with what they feel like should be dealt with. And yeah. and there's really the, the Ukraine stuff, whatever he said, whether you want to believe that there was edits made to it or tried to be edited, I mean, there just doesn't seem to be a viable case to impeach Trump. And so they should focus on who, what the American people actually voted them in for. Well, you know, it's interesting um, with with what's going on in Congress, that they're so gung-ho on, on impeachment. And it's interesting how they've moved along. You know, first it was they were, it was all the Russia stuff. You don't hear anything about Russia. Do you, have you heard of name mentioned in, by uh, Schiff or Pelosi in a long time? No. Um, I mean, there's a very, very specific reason for that. Um, so now we're just focused on Ukraine and, and uh, see where the Democrats are going to take it and how the administration is, is going to fight back on it. And so I guess, uh, by the way, congratulations to D.C. for winning the World Series. I think of everything going on down there. I don't know if you're a big baseball fan. I know we talk about football with the taxes in the stadiums. That was our first interview, actually. But uh, now we're talking baseball. Nationals do it. I I was shocked. I am a a huge, huge baseball fan, and in particular, a huge Nats fan. Um, And I'm very was very excited. I actually I went to World Series Game Forty. That's how big of a which they did not win, but I, that, that shows what a big Nats fan I am. That I actually my wife and I went to one of the World Series games, um, and it's a terrific um, it, it's it's a terrific stadium if you haven't been there. But you know this team they had their back against the wall in five straight elimination games, and they came back in every one of them. One of the things that I think is interesting that nobody really talks about when they that game seven came back comeback on the Howie Kendrick home run. That was the earliest the Nationals have come back in any game, um, in any elimination game so far this postseason. I mean, everything else has been in the eighth inning and later, which shows you how resilient and talented this team is. Um, also, you know, I, I think they made the right moves in the offseason, I think, in deciding who to bring in and who not to bring in. I think made a big difference. I don't think you can discount uh, addition by the subtraction of one um, on this national stand. Corbin, you know, he was he was a big offseason signing. Yankees tried to get him. They couldn't. Nationals get him. I think getting rid of Bryce Harper might have just eased the clubhouse up a little bit, it seems like, judging the fact that the year he leaves is the year they win the World Series. So that's interesting uh, as well. I, I don't know. Have you ever met any of these guys? Have you ever met Harper being down in the D.C. area so much? Living down there? Uh, I have not. No, I have not had a chance to meet any of them. I don't know if I, if I had a chance to meet Harper. I would. I not. I, I, I'm not a Harper fan by any means. I um, and, and I'll tell you something here. Here's here's some breaking news if you want it. I um, if the Nationals had re-signed Harper, I was seriously considering picking up rooting for another team. 
a lifelong Nat fan, going to root for another team. That is, uh, that's a little, that's, that's, that's interesting. How much that negative impact was from Harper? It, it was, and it gets a lot. And it, it gets a lot of. Um, it gets a lot. It, it doesn't. It doesn't get a lot of play in this town. That they don't seem like they want to, you know, take that issue on. But Harper wasn't I mean you can see the difference in the clubhouse. People are hugging, you can see it in the dugout, they're dancing, they're laughing, they're joking. You didn't see that during during Harper's reign. Now is all that his fault? Most likely not. Uh as a matter of fact I would say almost with perfect certainty. It, it's not all his fault. But it does seem like it's a looser, more together clubhouse than it was when when Harper was there. One of the problems with, with Harper is that baseball seems to want to pretend that he's Mike Trout, and they want to pretend he's one of the greatest ever, but he's not. Uh, he's a very good player. I mean, uh, I mean, he's a very good player who had one great year, and I don't want to take any of that away from him, but he's not the player Major League Baseball wants to say he is or pretends that he is. And I'm just looking up YouTube because I remember this. Uh, Papabon and Harper going at it. I think they tried to choke each other out. And so you could see at that point that the Nationals had a had a redirection and finally they found that redirection. And Dave Martinez, you know what? I don't blame him for going off in game six because he was screaming at the umps uh, in Nationals Park, hey, wake up, it's the World Series. So I wasn't surprised he got tossed. Um, the umps were just well, a little well, erratic this whole series. Was wrong. That, that call was just flat out wrong. That, that's part of the problem. So, and and that, yeah, and Dave was tired of uh, the umping. You could tell. Oh, the umping was. I mean, I the umping was terrible in the series. Uh, you know, I don't. I'm not somebody who likes to criticize umpires. The umpiring was not good this series. But I, as I say that, um, I also want to point out that I think umpiring has always been bad. It's just now we know how bad it is because we have all this technology to show us where the ball landed, what's a strike, what's a ball, whether somebody was safe, somebody wasn't. I mean, these are all judgment calls, but, you know, the umpires in 1958 got more leeway or, you know, 1962 or whatever year you want to pick uh, because they didn't have all this technology to point out how wrong they were. I think had we had this technology 50, 60 years ago, we'd still we'd be, they'd be complaining about how bad the umpiring was back then. It's just now we have the technology to catch every little mistake they make, which I don't know is entirely fair to the umpires. But, yes, the umpiring in this postseason was not good. I know at one point they wanted to have the robots decide what's a ball and strike, and I'm like, just let the umps do that. I know they get a wrong spot, yeah. but it's still natural calls. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know that um, that robot calling is the solution. I saw there's a minor league player who actually got tossed for arguing um, a, a robot called strike, which sounds fascinating. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know that that's the solution. I don't know what the solution is. I still think it's that. And, uh, and one other thing, it got political because Trump was there at game – Five, sorry. And I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around it because earlier in the day, he announced the killing of the ice, the death of the ISIS leader, and then he gets booed. I I can't fathom that in my brain, but it's true that whoever's in the crowd, I don't know if you want to agree that they were lobbyists and elites. They might have been, but they just seem like DC uh, regulars who just were not happy with the president. But that being said, they shouldn't have booed him the day he announced that death. Well, DC regulars lean left. I mean, the, the, the city, I, I live here, the city leans left. It's a very left city. 
Uh, it's a very liberal Democrat city. It, it's been that way forever. Um, so they're, they're going to build a Republican president. That That's just it, to be honest. Um, I'd be, I would be shocked if he wasn't booed. I was expecting him to be booed. And I think to some degree Trump was too. Uh, he had, they had nationals that asked him to throw out the first pitch and he had joked he'd only do that if they gave him a suit of armor. So um, I think the president was expecting a negative response. And I think it's something he might use to his advantage when he goes to a rally in Kentucky or a rally in Louisiana this week and play that clip and say, look, that's D.C. elites, D.C. lobbyists billing me. They boo me because I represent you. He can play the villain in D.C. and then go out to the Midwest and play, play the hero. Uh, so I think to some degree that's to his advantage. But um, I'm not surprised they booed him. It's a, it's a liberal left-wing town, and they're going to boo a Republican president. That's just the way well, it is. And baseball and Donald Trump go way back, obviously – to be very candid, I met Donald Trump at Yankee Stadium with Regis Philbin in 2004 when I was about 13 or 12, a little younger. And so baseball in his blood. And I believe since he took the presidency, this is the first baseball game he's been to uh, since becoming president. So I was very surprised to see him there. But I was very pleasantly surprised because, like, good, he's back in the back in the game, you know. Yeah, and there was um, a good mix. You know, there was there were some cheers. I mean, some people did cheer him. And some people chanted to lock him up. So you really got the gamut from boos to cheers to the uh, lock him up chant. So you got kind of a smattering of everything there with his, his appearance. And the most important thing is it was only words. Let's just put it that way. It was only words. Thank God. Exactly. That's exactly right. So now he's in New York. So we'll see what happens when he shuts down Midtown Manhattan to go to the Garden. Anyway, I'll let you go back to following Bill Barr and and the Justice Department. Keep us posted on what's going on. And thank you, Jeff Mordock of The Washington Times, for joining me for the first ever Sunday show with Alex Garrett. Thanks, Alex. I appreciate uh, you having me. Thank you. All right. Take care. I'm Alexander Garrett. Have a great, great rest of your Sunday. 